Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your truth, that you'd help us to know, receive, and share more of your love in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today, uh, I'm going to talk about our gospel lesson. And I'll start out up front by telling you this is a gospel lesson that no preacher really wants to speak about, including me. When I read this passage, I was thinking about the famous historian and philosopher, uh, Will Durant, who in writing his 11-volume treatise uh, on history, when he talks about the authenticity of Christ, he came up with this notion that he talks about sort of an embarrassment criterion. And kind of what he said is like, when you're trying to figure out whether this is true about Jesus and all these different things, that, you know, first of all, the, the... first century believers would not have come up with such a sophisticated vision so quickly of Jesus with so much wisdom and all the different things about him. But he says, really, look at how they included um, things that were embarrassing about Jesus. And he gives examples of how Peter denies him, about how when the crucifixion takes place, all the, the disciples just run. He talks about how when Jesus comes to his hometown in Galilee and all this, he doesn't, he's not really able to do any miracles and I think today's passage might be included in that. He didn't say it, but I think it's one of these ones. It's almost like, why are you going to put this in there? If you were making this stuff up, trying to create a whole new order, you wouldn't want to talk about this day where Jesus just gets wound up and starts telling everybody about how hard it's going to be. And this is not going to be smooth. And you're going to have divisions and all these different things that are, that are going to happen. And I kind of think on this day, Jesus is a bit of a troublemaker. That's the title of our today's sermon. And I know at least one of you is relaxing right now. The sermon's not about you because you emailed me. <laughs> but I do want to talk about, um, I do want to talk about this passage and it is hard. And we live in an age and time when it's not hard for us to get how divisive things are, that there are lots of divisions, um, particularly around the around politics, for example. I think about this past week, um, there, on the way into work every morning, I stop at a coffee shop and get my tumbler full of coffee to get me going for the day, and there's a community table. And over the years, I've learned to sit down and just spend five, 10 minutes there on my way to work. And so I've got to know everybody that's there, and there's this full spectrum of where everybody is on stuff. But there's like this past week, just to give you an example, with all of this stuff that was going on at, at Mar-a-Lago, we got one end of the table that's like, oh my gosh, he's under siege. All this politically motivated attacks and, you know, he blah, his castle's being, you know, attacked. And you get people on the other end that says, nobody's above the law. Let justice run its course. We need to pursue it. And everything in between, like all this conflict that takes place. That's at the community table. And then we start talking about families and, you know, all the divisions around politics, religion, parenting, all the different kinds of issues that come up. And often we just come back in the middle of these conflicts to our scripting of how we were raised or whatever it is. And it's not just now that we get these kind of conflicts. Obviously, we get those kind of conflicts back in time. In our gospel lesson, we don't have to look any further than that to see that Jesus is talking about conflict. He's talking about divisions. And he's going to go into talking about all the different kinds of divisions and things that will happen if you go all in and follow Jesus on his path what that's going to be like. And I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. But as we start to think about this passage, I want to um, first kind of like think, have you think for a minute about some of the context of it for just a second. 
first of all, just thinking about this uh, 12th chapter of Luke starts by giving us recognition that Jesus is speaking to the biggest crowds he's ever been around. We get in verse one of the 12th chapter, it says how all these crowds are gathering in thousands and they're trampling each other. That's kind of what it says. And we get that there are lots of probably different camps of people that are involved in this that are following him. We get, you know, of course, the really devoted, like the the apostles and the disciples that are so devoted, they're following. We get that on the other end of the spectrum, that there are his enemies, the Pharisees and the people from the temple and all these people that are against him. But probably the vast majority are people that are just in the crowd going along. And, you know, this is an age with no social media, no TV, like entertainment is at a minimum. And they're just following this, the character of the day that's gra- grabbing all the attention the one that's out there and they've heard that he does miracles and they heard that he does all these teachings and all this stuff and they want to see and see what's going on. It's the big news. And there are some who think that this is one of those passages where Jesus maybe leans into it a little harder than others because he's trying to um, reduce the crowd some. He's trying to call it and do it that way. I don't know. It's one of those things where we think about the context of it. That's part of what's going on. And you think maybe also too about the narrative that's taking place. I mean, Jesus is on this final sweep towards Jerusalem and he talks about baptism with fire and all this, but he knows what's coming in Jerusalem. And that baptism by fire, like the kindling of it may be the wood of the cross and the nails. And he knows what's going to happen. And I imagine the stress that he's subjected to on this whole movement towards Jerusalem because he knows what's coming. And he's thinking in his mind what's going to happen with all that. And there's got to be what we would call stress today in knowing that you're headed to your, this point where everything's going to boil over and you're going to end up, as you've told your followers, with this torturous death that's going to take place. And the final thing we might think about in context as we look at that pas- is this passage today is the author Luke writing this because like all the gospel writers, I mean, they're writing later, right? And it's, you know, ballparkish. Luke is probably writing 40 years after Jesus's death. And all these gospel writers end up emphasizing certain things based on what's happening then or what they're, what's going on. And one, it's not hard to imagine that Luke is emphasizing this passage maybe because the people then are undergoing persecution they are experiencing all these different kinds of divisions that are taking place that he's mentioning. And so he takes this moment to put an exclamation point on it. Jesus predicted this was going to happen. He said these things, but I really want to make sure you hear it. This stuff is going to happen. And then we start looking at what are those kinds of things. You know, part of it is all the crazy ways that divisions are going to take place if you go all in on Jesus. Literally, friends and family are going to put you outside. Friends and family are going to think you're crazy. Like, why are you giving up your security and your safety to become, what, an itinerant? Why are you giving up community and belonging to go be with a bunch of strangers? Why are you engaging in in following this Messiah when that is really something that's really like criminal or thinking that he's God? Again, this is one of those moments where I think Jesus is really 
calling all these things out and he's a bit of a troublemaker. He's stirring it up like good intentions to get you to think about it, whatever it is, but he is stirring it up. And I want you to um, listen to the passage with all that background for a second, one more time. This is the message translation from Eugene Peterson, but listen to it one more time. He says, I've come to start a fire on this earth. How I wish it were blazing right now. I've come to change everything, turn everything right side up. How long for it to be finished? Do you think I came to smooth things over and make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and to confront. From now on, when you find five in a house, it'll be three against two and two against three, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against bride and bride against mother-in-law. And then he turned to the crowd, the thousands again. When you see the clouds coming from the west, you say storms are coming and you're right. And when the wind comes out of the south, you say, this is going to be a hot one. And you're right. You frauds. You know how to tell the change in the weather. So don't tell me you cannot tell a change in the season, the God season that we're in right now. He's saying like, this is, a, this is like a big change. This is a God season that we're in. And this God season calls us to have different priorities than the rest of society and what's going on, to, to have things oriented differently and to put it in a, in a different place. And the deeper that we go into that on our journey of discipleship, the more our society then and now wants to put us off on the side. I've told this story before, but I always think about how whenever I first started telling friends I'm going to go to seminary, I had more than one friend that said, you're taking this way too seriously. (laughs) And we stop and think like, why is that a deal? Like, why, why, why do we have these divisions? Where do these things come from? What is it that makes us want to put people on the outside? And I think maybe we pause and just put everything on hold for a second and realize We're the same way now that things were when Jesus was walking. We have maybe in us like this innate um, thing that that wants to divide up and put aside the people that just want to follow their hearts. Or maybe we have this, um, a bit of confrontation with people who are so secure in their beliefs or people who want to disregard risks and go do things or people that want to live by a different value system. All of these things confront us. Like, what, what's up with that? Where does that come from? I think it's more than just a difference, that we have a difference of opinions. I think it actually comes back to confront our own commitments. It comes back in ways that make us uncomfortable, asking us, what do we really believe? And are we ourselves living congruent with the things that we believe? And does that bother us? Are we disrupted by that? I know a few years ago, some of you in the room will know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to give details. But a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, I had this couple, this family that I've been good friends with for many years, who announced on Facebook that they were going to, they're in their like young 40s, but they're leaving the United States to go live in another country because they want to make memories. And I remember thinking to myself, that, how irresponsible that is. You're not retired. What are you all doing? And all these different things, like where's that coming from? Because I think that's something I couldn't do, you know? Or what is it? Like it's confronting me and my belief system and and how things are ordered and whatever else it is. 
That's one way of looking at where these divisions come from. I think the other way that we look at that maybe the stronger way even is that we oftentimes look at things in terms of competition and victory and teams and like who's going to be who's right who's going to get there and how destructive maybe that is in our culture and within ourselves. Not long back I read a book that was um, talking about marriages and relationships that fell and different kinds of things like this and the the two psychologists that are writing it talk about how destructive it is in relationships when people get to a place where they just have to be right in the relationship. I'm going to read just a little thing. The book was entitled Mistakes Were Made, written by the psychologists Carol um, Tavris and Elliot Aronson. They say the vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly over time in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels are not the assassins of love. Self-justification is. This need to win and to be right. And I wonder what it would be if we could think differently and set that all aside. And maybe for us, part of our spiritual journey in question is just as simple as saying, how do I live true to what I believe and what I've been called to? I always think about how one of the uh, most authoritative groups of theologians I I know say that the greatest arbitrator of how you live your life is your conscience, your, your properly informed conscience. And that really living out our life of discipleship is just going deeper into being true to how you're engaging God and where God is leading you. And that maybe all of our faith is about knowing God and living that and not trying to prove we're better than somebody or more right than somebody or that we've got the right version, but just being true to how God's called us, how we understand God, and then listening to the other, not trying to be better than them, not trying to say we're right, but just listening. And how different our whole landscape of religion and politics would be if it wasn't about who's right and wrong, but here's what matters, and I want, understand, I want to understand and listen and hear what matters to you. To make it not about victory and a competition and all the other things. And maybe that whole victory thing is ultimately at the heart of division. That we need at the center of who we are to have a sense of superiority. Maybe we're in a community and a place where all our self-worth comes from feeling that we're at the top we're in a winner and loser culture and maybe it's always been that way maybe it was the same way when Jesus was speaking the gospel lesson that we heard and for most of us in the middle who are living knowing that we make a difference that we matter but we're not maybe the success that the world's looking for in different kinds of ways where does that leave us as the followers of the humble way of love that Jesus teaches Lots of stuff for us to think about and reflect on. Well, as the plane turns towards the runway to bring this thing down, I want to step back for a second and just think about this division and stuff in the bigger picture of the whole gospel. Because I think Jesus, um, he's going to tell us in this gospel lesson today, we are going to face divisions. The deeper you go into your faith, you're going to prioritize things different in your life. You are going to get divisions, resistance, 
people that are against you, all of that. But at the same time he warns us about that, we know that he calls us into a ministry of healing divisions. Jesus came into the world to heal. And we think about how the healing is around sin, which, which is a sin is ultimately the thing that's divisive, separating us from God, from one another, and from our true selves. And however we view it, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and the call to live a spirit-infused life is about healing these divisions, that in Christ we're brought close to God. In Christ, we're called to be one body, one family. Paul is going to talk about how there's not slave and free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, all these different things because we're meant to be brought together in one body, the healing of the separation between us. And along with that, I think Jesus brings a healing within ourselves. That we're, we're meant to be free in Christ. We're meant to be true to who he's made you to be as you are seeking the sun and the light that he brings and the way of love that he brings, but being true to how he's created you. And maybe the way we glorify God most is when we live with congruency in how he's made us and called us. What some people call deep integrity, Martha Beck and all those kinds of things. And, and maybe whether it's attributed, is attributed to um, Bishop Irenaeus in the first century who always would say that um, the saying attributed to him is that the glory of God are humans fully alive, living in completely to how you were made and how God's called you. If we can do that and set aside these fears of judgment and all these different divisions and all this, we're way down the road on all this kind of stuff. I think today is, um, our passage today is a really, really hard one. I think it's one that reminds us the deeper we go, the more divisions and desire for society to put us on the side there is. I think it's a passage that calls us to think about the source of divisions and reflect on that a bit. And it also in the bigger picture brings us back to thinking about Jesus's call for us to be who he made us to be and to help heal the divisions and the brokenness in life. I pray that you will have stuff to talk about at lunch and to reflect on during the coming week. And today, instead of ending with a prayer, I want to ask you to do um, something. I want to just take a minute, 60 seconds, for prayer and reflection on this before we go on.